What's up, Literacy Advocates? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer, and my guest today is Linda Hampton. She serves as Senior Director for Program Development for Save the Children, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to give children a healthy start in life so they can thrive as learners and to provide protection from harm. They're currently in partnership with Scholastic, who is providing the books for their initiative to distribute 100,000 books to rural communities. Before this, Linda was the executive director for the Kentucky Governor's Office of Early Childhood. Her focus was early childhood policy in the state of Kentucky to create a sound early childhood system. Linda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Timmy. I love to be here and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. I mean, just as we were talking before I hit record, I got a little taste of your background and it's a very interesting background. Um, and so I want to talk about the initiative that you that you all are doing, but I also just want to talk about you, Linda. Um, so uh, as we were talking about our love of literacy, you mentioned that your mom is an immigrant and that she did not know how to read English when you were a kid. Why don't you just, in your own words, tell me your origin story? Sure, sure. And I appreciate that. It's truly why I do what I do today. So my mom is from Udon, Thailand. And Timmy, you know, it's your typical story. She, um, she became pregnant. She became pregnant at the age of 16 to my biological father, who was stationed in Udon, Thailand, post to Vietnam. And my mom, like many others who became pregnant by American soldiers, was immediately, she was, she was disowned by her family, immediately airlifted to, um, to Florida, to the Patrick Air Force Base um, within, within Florida at Cocoa Beach. And she, she, didn't, she couldn't read. She was not only illiterate within her own country, but obviously she was illiterate here. And um, whenever my mom moved here, you know, obviously, pregnant, illiterate from her own country, she probably had about a first, second grade equivalency to, to the U.S. whenever she came here. And um, she, it was, it was Head Start. It was a program called Head Start Timmy that truly saved my mom. So my older sister, she enrolled my other older sister into the program, which she had found out about the program from another friend who had, who had come here. So it was Head Start that truly, truly helped my mom get where she is today in regards to reading. But not only my mom, I mean, it saved us, you know, it saved us and it helped us get more acclimated to, to other children, obviously children who were not like us, but we were also able to learn more of the U.S. type of a way. And I'll never forget whenever um, we were young, my mom, um, we had to become the readers for her. And my earliest memory to me was around, I was either, I don't know, three and a half, four years old. She got something in the mail. We were looking at it. And I just, I remember seeing red. I remember seeing red. And then I remember seeing dollar signs. And uh, so then took it to the neighbor's house. And then the neighbor was able to help my mom understand you're, you're going to get evicted if you do not pay your bill. And that, you know, and you think about that, you think about not only our situation, but there are many children who are within that, you know, there are many children. I was either three and a half, four years old. And, um, you know, so that is my earliest memory of reading. And uh, that's why, like with this work, you know, so many of us are so passionate about this, because not only did my mom have to learn 
later in life, the recognition of letters and things like that, but we did it together. So that was the whole other thing. So as we are growing, my sister and I, and then my mom is learning, we were learning at the same time. And, you know, and there are many children who are like that, who are learning how to read at the same time as their parents, especially if they are illiterate. Did you, do you feel like you struggled learning how to read as a kid because your mom was illiterate or was, did it come as easy to you as it comes to most students? So there's, there's a couple of things with that, Timmy. Um, It did become easier to me just because I had that foundation of Head Start that was helping me but it was also one of those somewhat of an embarrassment mm. because what I was, was around other, well, I was around other children who, who didn't look like me and I could tell that their parents could read. Mm. So it was one of those, as a young child, I was embarrassed that my mother had, which today I understand obviously the struggles of what she had, but as a kid, you don't fully understand that because you yourself are still developing. So I was embarrassed that, you know, I could tell other parents could read. I could tell that there was more interaction between children and parents who were able to have that commonality of understanding because their parents could read. And I remember like going to school programs and like something as simple as reading the program because you're in a play. My mom couldn't do that. Mm. So it was like whomever was sitting next to her could see. And when you're like that, it's hard for you as an adult to ask for help. But, you know, we had a close network where people knew and it was people from church, you know, people from church and folks who were like my mom, who were the village who supported her and were able to say, okay, this is Linda's part. She's going to, she's, she's going to sing in seven minutes. She's almost there, but truly having to guide her, you know, through that. And then also like whenever you're going into social services programs, uh, you know, I remember as a child going in to, to this office to, to get assistance, uh, you know, to get your cheese and to get your milk. And I remember that they were always so kind and so nice to my mom. And then sometimes it was hard for me to understand why are these people so nice to my mom? But then in other settings, they're just not as nice and not as welcoming. So definitely what drove me to get into the, the into this field of giving back and providing service to others and helping folks understand that it's your earlier years that matter the most. And that not only is there situations like my mom, but there's so many other stories out there that are like her. And then what was fascinating to me is that my mom did not become a citizen until seven years ago. And so whenever my sisters and I were helping her to prepare to become a citizen, that was hard. Because she had to thoroughly understand U.S. history. She had to thoroughly understand the Constitution and just so much around that and the questions and things like that. And it took, we prepared her for two and a half, three years for that, for her to get My mom just became a citizen uh, last year. She did? Yeah. Tammy, where is she from? That's wonderful. My so I have an aunt, um, a Thai aunt who actually lives in Germany. Um, 
That's wonderful, Timmy. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know what it's like. I mean, I'm sure you had sort to help of. your mom. Yeah. I mean, I it's... feel bad because, so I didn't have, I don't know that I had embarrassment. Well, so there's so many, there's a lot of differences. Like I was homeschooled, so I didn't have mm-hmm. like a peer group that was constantly seeing my mom like struggle with English or whatever. My mom's a great reader, but she pronounces things wrong consistently always since I, <laughs> as far back as I can remember. <laughs> And every once in a while, she'll just start saying German. And as a kid, she used to say, she used to speak German to me. And I didn't realize that I was, I, I didn't realize it was German. Like I would then say it to my friends and they'd be like, what did you just say? <laughs> so let me ask you this. Can you, are, are you fluent in German? Can you I speak? used to be when I was a kid, when I was in like third grade-ish, uh, mm-hmm. I was fluent in German and I've, I've lost it all. I don't remember any of it. I mean, that's not true. Every once in a while. I'll say something German to my wife and she'll, and she'll just like kind of laugh and be like, what did you just say? But it'll be something that I grew up saying. But aside from that stuff, I don't remember the language. You know, so that was one thing, Timmy, my mom did not do with us. So when we moved, we moved to Kentucky whenever I was almost five, we were the, my mom remarried. We were the only minority family in a town called Flatwoods, Kentucky. And um, my mom did not want to teach us Thai because she did not want us to look and be Mm. even more different. Mm. And and, and I I hate that today that she, you know, she felt that the way that she did um, because I I wish I would have learned, you know, that language and and she does too. Um, But yeah, so that's why I was asking if you were fluent and how, because so many people's stories are, 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 are so different about this. And, you know, when you see the day that your parent becomes a citizen, it is such a fascinating feeling and you're just like it's you're, you're just so proud uh, yeah. of it yeah. seeing how far they came so congratulations I had to, to your watch mom. it unfortunately because I wasn't I wasn't there but yeah uh, it was it was so cool and you're right absolutely she she deserves it um I wanted to ask you about um this is still slightly off topic from what we're about to talk sure. about which is the program but you mentioned embarrassment a few times how did you overcome the embarrassment or did you just sort of age out of it? And then this is where I really want to ask, which is, so my audience is mostly teachers. What's something that you feel a lot of teachers don't understand about students who were in your shoes that they could, that they, that you feel that they should know or that they could uh, get better at? So it was second grade. I had a second grade teacher named Mrs. Gates and we were doing a quilt project in class and she saw that I was just kind of sitting by myself but she saw that I really loved the different colors uh, and I was really engaged in that so Mrs. Gates actually picked me as a leader I was the leader of whom was allowed to pick and ask all the students hey what's your favorite color do you want this quilt piece so it was Mrs. Gates, Timmy, that, that started getting me out of that because I felt in that moment, she, she, she knew what I liked. 
She saw that I was engaged and she believed in me and she gave me a leader position in the class. And so with that, that truly was what really helped me. And then I just started getting more engaged with friends and then just became even stronger from that. It definitely gave me a much stronger personality of where I am today, but that truly is whom helped me. And there's, there's many educators whom are like Mrs. Gates. And that's what is wonderful about the, the about about the teaching um, profession and we've seen a lot of that this past year just with COVID just teachers even being more sensitive because they understand you know the gaps that were happening and teachers know their kids best they really do not only the teachers but the custodians the bus drivers and things like that so it, just with teachers and their passion and their sensitivity really is what is needed with children. And, you know, and like when you're in this space of education, we know that social and emotional well-being is so critical in learning. And I feel that teachers understand that the best because they see so many different kids and, you know, and they do want children to thrive and they want children to be successful. And um, and oftentimes when you ask any, any adult, you know, like, hey, what's, what's your best memory of growing up? Oftentimes they're going to reflect either it's either going to be something at church probably, or it's going to be something at a family reunion, or it's going to be there a teacher, one of their favorite teachers who truly did help them get, get through those rough patches. Because us as adults, I mean, we know just go, growing up as kids, it's hard and you go through many different things developmentally. And yes. so like your, so like your elementary That's teachers, those thing. are... Yeah, like they're, they're your caretakers. You no, no, you're fine. Every once in a while, I'll have like sort of an epiphany and get really excited and then completely mm-hmm. interrupt my kids. <laughs> but this is, um, it's as if like there's so many developmental changes that happen throughout a student's life that it, being a teacher is a completely different thing, one grade to the next. There's no, like, you're just a complete, it, it's like we talk about teachers as, as if, as if uh, you know, that it's like a teacher is a teacher, but one grade to the next, two teachers are completely different things because <laughs> they have totally. a completely different type of audience uh, or, or like students that they're trying to reach. You know, I always ask teachers, what made you decide to be a middle school teacher? Man, I mean, don't you remember how hard those years are? <laughs> I mean, like, like I would never you're... want to be a middle school teacher personally. No, <laughs> I wouldn't either. No. I mean, it's so hard developmentally. Yeah. You know what? Like when you're when you hit sixth grade, because you're going from because you know you've hit your double digits. So you're like, oh my gosh, what does that mean? You know, pe- 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 people are saying you're ten now or you're eleven now, and then like you're an eleven year old, you're twelve year old, and then you're that dreaded thirteen. The middle school years are by far the hardest developmentally. And have you noticed that those are the years that are not talked about a lot? And so for teachers who are going to listen to this podcast, especially those middle school teachers, first and foremost, thank you so much for what you're doing. And then secondly, talk about it more. Talk about those years more. Talk about hard, how hard it is. Like you're seeing children changing every day, you know, just developmentally, just from either acne to like, you know, your smells are different to like, now you're really timid and you're looking away because somebody's looking you in your eye, but you don't know what to do because, because you're changing and you just don't know how to handle that. And then you're going off into high school. 
somebody needs to do a podcast that's just about the struggle of middle school. And there probably already is one, but I should go mm-hmm. looking for it. But there should be a podcast that's literally just like the middle school teacher podcast. Yes. That's yeah. just going the unique di- challenges of sixth, seventh, eighth grade and how each one is different. Yeah. That needs to be for me personally. And- I feel like I never grew out of second grade. So if I were a teacher, it would probably be second grade. Gosh, and that's funny. That's funny that you should say that because I've, I literally just told you it was my second grade teacher who got me yeah, through. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I still think the same piece. stuff is funny that I thought was funny yeah. when I was in second grade. I still, I, I'll talk to a second grader and I feel like I'm talking to a friend. Like I'll just talk to them like I'm talking to you. <laughs> the same way I'm like so what's up you know oh my gosh I would love to do that with you you know sure I'll help you bake that cookie and put way more cookie chips than what we're supposed to have in there but you know I love what you said about the middle school podcast like that needs to happen and and yeah. kids need to hear that you know I I went my husband and I we prepared, I have two daughters and um, we prepared them, Timmy, in elementary school to be prepared for middle school because we didn't want it, want them to be those kids who couldn't talk to us about, about things. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Linda, let's talk about your program, what you're doing for rural communities and why it matters to my listeners. So uh, give us some context. So save the children. What is it? What are you doing this summer? So Save the Children, again, it's a remarkable, remarkable organization who serves children in many, many different ways. So um, a couple of our key programs that we have, we, we start prenatally, Timmy, so we start prenatally through the age of 11. So um, we have our home visitation program for our pregnant moms and for children up to the age of five. So that's one program that we offer and that one is year round. And what's great about our home visitation program, it's not only for the child, but it's for the parent as well. And we have our our staff go into the home, they provide sound um, programming wrapped around early care and education. And through that program, we also have a book bag exchange program and we also give them books as well so so children are given lots and lots of books but then also lots of activities as well and then also as it's geared towards kindergarten through the age of 11 we have two different types of programs which is both our kinder boost program truly what it says kinder boost you're getting kids ready for kindergarten and then we have a longer program that's called our summer boost program so through both of those programs it's it's wrapped around continual learning for our children. And through that continual learning, we partner within rural communities. We have around 200 programs, Timmy, throughout rural communities within, within, the, within the United States. And we are partnering with our school districts to where we are providing a wealth of materials. We are providing a wealth of activities so these schools can run their summer camps. And um, a piece of what we're doing for this summer is our partnership with Scholastic. And that is where we're distributing over 100,000 books. We've been in a partnership with Scholastic for over 25 years. And through that partnership, over 100,000 books are being distributed to our communities. But I think it's important to note that, again, I mean, and and you and I understand this space well, and the, the educators that are listening, just because you're giving somebody a book, 
doesn't mean like, bam, they're going to start reading it and they're going to do things. So what I love about our program is that we, we supply activities wrapped around it to help them engage their learning and so that they are truly thriving in reading and that they can understand, you know, words that they're seeing along with activities. So with our, um, with, with the Scholastic Summer Reading Campaign, again, we're distributing over 100 books. This is happening through September 3rd. And um, along with that, educators, families, and others, they can get online and participate in their eBooks that are free to everyone. And it's um, scholastic.com slash summer virtual events. And so through there, educators can get a wealth of opportunity and, um, and ideas to help support children through the summer. You know, the research is there that if, you know, there's that whole summer loss, what we really try to do is to ensure that there is not that loss, that education and learning is continuing, but through fun ways and through play and through an engagement and just through lots of excitement. So that's what's yeah. great about our partnership with Scholastic. I haven't done, because, I'm sorry to cut you off. I haven't, I haven't done, done enough episodes on summer loss because oh, it's a concept sure. that I'm really interested in. Um, and, uh, I, I'm a real outside the box thinker. So like my first thought is, well, why do we have summer vacation in the first place? <laughs> if summer loss is a thing, why is there summer vacation? <laughs> like, obviously like every kid who would hear me say that would want to shut me up, but it, I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's where my head goes immediately. <laughs> why are you laughing? You know, I just think that's hilarious. I mean, I get it. You know, like the whole summer loss, because people, you will say so much, you know, we lose so much during the summer. And the thing is, kids need a break too, Timmy. You know that. We've been kids. And, yeah. you know, you, you want to be able to play. You want to be able to learn. And not only is there that summer loss, because in rural communities are hard. You know, again, within rural communities, there's just not a lot of opportunity in regards to like bookstores, in regards to stores in general and unemployment. I mean, like there's just a whole list of challenges that happen within rural communities. And then within rural communities, there's just not a lot there. So it's like, it's, it's one of those like losses already happening because yeah. of, because of, because there's just not a lot within rural communities. So it is, how do you close that, that, that gap and turn the loss into not a loss. And then, you know, now we have the whole thing of COVID and uh, you know, what's going to happen there. You know, people are already talking about, you know, and there's things already out there just about COVID loss and learning loss and things yeah. such as that. And, 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 and sometimes that's such a negative because when you say that, and if a child hears, I'm a part of this summer loss, you know, that's not, that's not very positive, uh, you know, I to, remember when to say the, to kids. The one summer that I was in school. So I did, I was in public school from the end of second grade and then like a few months of third grade. And I, and I remember there being this like strong emphasis that the school year was ending to like get everybody on a reading program so that we would not have summer loss. And I, that's like sticks out in my brain. Now, when you're homeschooled, your whole year feels like school because you're just chronically behind on school and you're always pushing stuff off. And then like you end up having to continue doing school for like a month into the summer. And then your parents are making sure that you're getting ready for school a month early before the school year starts. So it's like, uh, <laughs> you don't really feel like you have a summer vacation when you're in homeschool. But yeah, Hi. I do remember there being this big emphasis about summer loss from that, for that year. 
Um, Linda, the, uh, if I'm a listener listening to this episode and I'm a teacher in a rural area, what's some action that you would want me to take? First and foremost, to reach out. You, you know, not only to programs as save the children, but just be, be, be very creative and start digging into the minimal partners that you may have. And then also too, just within rural communities, Teachers already know within rural communities, Timmy, what they have and what they don't have. Um, so just to take advantage of online opportunities and programs, not only through Save the Children, but other organizations as well. And like within rural libraries, you know, like just don't forget about rural libraries that you may have and engage in them, but just to continue to make it fun. Because again, within rural communities, there's so much poverty there already and teachers are living through that, but know that there are opportunities for them to truly push their learning for children, to truly take advantage of the 100,000 books that are out there, to just to strongly continue to be the voice for children that they know what the voice needs to be, and just to continue to be that champion for kids, because not only do you want to be there for children now, but at the end of the day, we all want children to be successful. We want to be able to provide that pathway for them that whenever they do graduate, whether it's going to a community college or whether it's going to, or just staying in the community and working at a factory or whatever, just truly preparing children for that. And it's hard as teachers today because they're so limited to me on resources. Schools are so limited on monies. And so, and, and, and sometimes I feel so bad for teachers because it's, it's, it's unbeknownst to them that they have to be in the moment thinkers. And sometimes just due to limited resources, it's hard for teachers to think ahead from being within that moment. But just to continue to push them, just to push so that you are thinking ahead with these children and know that every single year they're going to grow with them and just to be their number one advocate and know that there are organizations such as Save the Children who will be an advocate with them. And um, so, you know, the best advice again is all of that for teachers, but for teachers to know that they're not alone and just to reach out and ask for, for help and for programs such as Save the Children. What I love about our program is that we have educators, Timmy, who specifically ask for us to adapt, you know, so like what we've developed, you know, it it may not work for them and it may not work for for those students that they have that summer. So they'll ask us to adapt our activities. They'll ask us to adapt their our lessons. They'll ask us to create their lessons for them for the summer. So again, just know that there are many folks like us who are there and that they're, they're not alone and we're here with them. I love it. Linda, this has been a super fun interview. Thank you so much for taking the time with me. How should listeners connect with you? So by all means, you can go to savethechildren.org slash USA. And then, so you connect, connect with anyone at Save the Children through there. And then you'll find Linda Hampton through that. Love it. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Timmy.